Amen. Thank you for that song. And you think about what the Bible teaches. If we're saved and we know the Lord is our Savior, then the things that we do after we're saved, the things we do for ourselves are going to be wood, hay, and stubble. And the things that we do for the Lord are gold and silver and precious stones. And the Bible says that our works, what we do for the Lord, will be tried so as by fire. And listen, we all know what wood hay and stubble do when you put a fire to it. Sometimes I think to myself, how many of us are going to stand before the Lord one day empty-handed, not being able to give back to God? Listen, God's been so good to us. And one thing that God has been good to give to us has been His Word. And this month, of course, going with our theme for the year, which is magnify. This month, God led me to this thought to magnify the scriptures. Now, really, every day we should magnify the Word of God. And so if you have a copy in your hands this morning, I'll let you remain seated for just a moment. But if you would, turn with me to Psalm 12 this morning. And I trust that maybe you grab one of the outlines on the way in this morning. And uh, we, last week we got started with this matter of the preservation of the scriptures is what we're going to cover today, and we got started last week talking about uh, the perfection of the Word of God and the Scriptures as God's given them to us. And you know, I, I love, I mentioned this last week, there's a lot of great hymns in the hymn book, and I don't believe the hymn is inspired the way the Bible is, but I do believe a lot of the great hymns have helped us over the years, encouraged us. A couple of the hymns that I was reading, thinking about the Bible, Psalm 184, uh, or excuse me, hymn 184, uh, actually says, that, as he wrote, we need a new look at the old book. We need a new look at God's Word. We need to search the Scriptures every day, hide God's Word in our hearts. And the Bible tells us that. I think about uh, number 182 in the hymn book, the old book and the old faith. And the, that particular hymn says, mid the storms of doubt, and unbelief we fear stands a book eternal that the world hold dear. Through the restless ages it remains the same. Tis the book of God and the Bible is its name. Tis the book that tells us of the Father's love when he sent his Son to us from heaven above, who by richest promise creates hope within, for tis through his blood we are saved from every sin." Tis the book that tells us of the will of God and the Savior's teachings while the earth he trod, how he soothed earth's sorrows and relieved its woe, through whom strength is given to conquer every foe. Tis the book that tells us of eternal life after faithful service in a world of strife. And this glorious triumph over death's dark fears is the world's best gift in an age of countless tears. The old book and the old faith are the rock on which I stand. The old book and the old faith are the bulk word of the land. Through storms and stress they stand the test in every clime and nation blessed. The old book and the old faith are the hope of every land. Folks, you and I are privileged this morning to hold in our hands the old book, God's Word. And if you join me this morning, let's stand for a few verses out of Psalm chapter, uh, Psalm 12 and verse number 6 and verse number 7. 
and I want you to look at these this morning. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Do you see those words, whether in your Bible or on your outline this morning? Let's read them together. All right, here we go. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation for how long? Forever. Do you believe that? God said that he would preserve them. If you notice the couple pronouns that are in there, oftentimes we see pronouns with antecedents, and I know it might be a little bit on the grammatical side, but those pronouns refer back to the words. What words? God's words. They're pure words. God has purified them, and he has preserved them for how long? Forever. And so this morning, the message is meant to help us. Uh, I, I know that oftentimes people have different ideas when it comes to uh, sermons and messages. Some messages are just flat out what you would call preaching. Some messages are a little bit more on the teaching side. But really the responsibility that falls on me as the pastor of this church is to not only preach the word, but teach the word. So this morning, the message is going to be a combination. Uh, we're going to kind of uh, come around the throne of God, but we're also going to go to school. Some things you're going to hear might be brand new things that you've never heard. And just because you've never heard them doesn't mean that they're not true. But the one thing that I would say as we get into the message this morning is my heart is not one this morning to cause anybody to get upset or to make anybody feel bad, my responsibility and my heart's desire is to share truth and allow God to minister to you and that you would receive it in the spirit that I pray that it will be delivered. And so let's pray this morning. God, thank you for your word. I pray that you'd bless it, use it in our lives. Thank you for what it's already done. No doubt many here this morning can say unequivocally that they are saved, that they've been born again, that they've experienced a new birth because by faith they trusted in the Word of God and they're trusting in Christ alone for their salvation. But Lord, today this matter of faith is going to be enlarged that we would by faith believe that God's Word, your Word, has been preserved to our generation. Bless it this morning. Use it in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the Word of God this morning. Now, I love the Bible. I hope you do too. As I think about the Word of God, I, we come to this matter of preservation. We see it mentioned in our text this morning in Psalm 12, how God is faithfully, listen, faithfully superintended his word down through the ages. Now, as somebody put it, by definition, what is it? Preservation is God extending his word to every generation. That means here we are in 2021. And guess what? We have God's word. God has promised to preserve it 
And when we, we understand that the Bible that we hold, that we possess, that we love, and that we read, as we read it, we are reading the very words of God. As we think about that this morning, we think back a little bit, if you were able to be here last week, and we covered this matter of how God's Word, the writing of the originals, the authors, those some 40 different individuals that God used to pen the words, that as they wrote, they wrote under inspiration. The word inspiration means that God breathed His Word, and God has inspired it to our generation. I'm glad that we have it written down for us this morning and every day that we can read it and study it. Now, as we think of preservation, we understand, first of all, this morning, Scripture has been preserved by God's promises. Now, I love the promises in the Bible. When you look, as we think about preservation, we can think about promises regarding preservation in the Old Testament. Notice the Bible says, God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the Son of Man that he should repent. Hath God said, and shall he not do it? And hath he spoken, and ha- shall he not make it good? In other words, if God said it, then it's true. It's going to happen. And we understand the preservation. God said, My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. God says, I gave my word. I'm not going to change my word. Notice Isaiah said, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand how long? Forever. Notice Psalm 119. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled where? In heaven. God has given us not only these, but many other Old Testament promises about the preservation of, of his word. But he also gives us New Testament promises, and I want you to see a few of those. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you in Matthew 5, till heaven and earth pass, look, notice this, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Matthew 24, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Peter said, the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word by which by the gospel is preached unto you. In other words, not only these, but many other verses, God has indeed promised to preserve his word. There's much internal evidence. Matter of fact, it's overwhelming when you stop and look at all the verses that establish and verify that God has preserved his word. And listen, we're talking about a God that according to his word, he is a God that cannot lie. Now man lies. (laughs) We lie every day. But God cannot lie. And if God promises to preserve his word, well, the Bible says he is the faithful and true witness. And he has promised that he will forever perfectly preserve his word. Listen, if God said it, that's good enough for me. Listen, who am I to doubt the Lord? And as we look in this this morning, we have more evidence that God's promises, that those promises establish that he has preserved his word. Everybody with me so far? So we find that as we think about preservation, that God has preserved his word by his promises. But notice he's also 
preserved his word by his power. Now we're talking about a God that is an all-powerful, almighty God, right? There is nothing that my God cannot do. We're talking about the God who spoke the world into existence. We're talking about the God who loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son that we can have eternal life. Listen, as we think about how God has promised to preserve his word, one way he has done that is by his power. Again, we go back to the Old Testament of the Bible and one of the prophets by the name of Jeremiah. If we have the time this morning and you go to the chapter 36 in the book of Jeremiah, here's what you will find is God was giving to Jeremiah revelation. Now remember what revelation is. Revelation is God revealing truth to man that was previously unknown or unknowable. So as God revealed to Jeremiah what he wanted him to then write, Jeremiah, under inspiration, wrote those words, that portion that we today call Jeremiah chapter 36. Now, as Jeremiah wrote that, of course, he was commanded to write it. He did what he was commanded. Then after Jeremiah wrote it, he did exactly what you and I just did a little while ago. He read it. It was read out loud, and as a matter of fact, it was read in the ears of a king who was on the throne at the time by the name of King Jehoiakim. Now, as Jehoiakim heard the words of God, he was not pleased. As a matter of fact, he rejected the word of God. Many today, when they hear the word of God, they don't receive it, they reject it. Listen, we have a responsibility that we should receive. This morning, you came to God's house. What God, by his word, is saying to you, can I just say to you, whether you understand it or not, whether you agree with it or not, understand this, that God wants you to receive it and not to reject it. So Jehoiakim, he heard these words. This is a pretty poor uh, picture because it's kind of hard to get a picture from back in the first century and even before that time. But Jehoiakim, the, the king, notice if you can see it here, the Bible just says, and here's the scene, he hears the word of God, he grabs the pages, and he takes a knife, he begins to cut the word of God up, and then he throws it in a fire. Now there's a lot of people today, and there's people in the past who have tried to do the exact same thing that Jehoiakim did that day. Maybe Jehoiakim thought to himself, well, got rid of that, won't have to listen to that again. I mean, that's what man oftentimes in our feeble attempts try to do. He thought by destroying the written word that it would erase what God had said. But what he did not understand is that God said, you read it earlier, that his word is settled where? In heaven. And so you know what God, instruct, God instructed Jeremiah, listen, he might have destroyed that copy, but grab a pen, I'm going to have you write it again. Notice in Jeremiah 36, 28, the Bible says that he tells Jeremiah, take thee again another roll and write it in all the former words that were in the first roll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, hath burned. In other words, despite the actions of the king, God preserved his word. And down through the ages, there have been several attempts by pagan unbelievers to destroy the word of God. 
in A.D. 303, the Roman emperor Diocletian. Diocletian ordered the confiscation and the destruction of all Christian scriptures. Now again, this was not the first time, and it won't be the last. So what happened in Diocletian's day? Well, listen, as we think about it, you study it out, what happened was the believers of the day, they were very concerned. So they decided to put their lives on the line to protect the Word of God. So what they did was they began to hide the Word of God. They hid the Word of God in the catacombs, and they hid the Word of God in caves, and they hid the Word of God in the graves, anywhere they could, so that God's Word would not be destroyed because God has preserved His Word. You think about the days of Adolf Hitler, and excuse me, uh, the French humanist Voltaire, Voltaire was just like Diocletian and those before him. Voltaire made this statement. He said, in another century, he says, there will not be one Bible on the earth. Now, what's interesting about Voltaire, because he was one that was into humanistic thinking. It wasn't about God. It was about man. And, the, and listen, when you study, it is a true fact that in Voltaire's life, that as he hated God's word, that it, is, it is, uh, was recorded that on the death of Voltaire, that his old printing press, the one that he used, and the very house where he lived was purchased by the Geneva Bible Society, and his house, this God-hater, God's word-hater, was turned into a warehouse for Bibles. God's word is preserved. God has a way. You think about Adolf Hitler uh, during the Russian during the Holocaust days. He tried to eradicate the Bible by what? Burning the Word of God. This is a poor picture, but it's an actual picture of one of the many book burnings that Adolf Hitler and his regime sanctioned back in his day. But God has preserved his word. Notice also Joseph Stalin, who was a dictator. He instituted what he called ban the Bible in the USSR. This was uh, Stalin's attempt to wipe the word of God and the God of the word from the very minds of the Russian people. Did Stalin succeed? Well, listen, <clears throat> a recent poll that was taken in Russia that shows that today more people than ever in Russia believe the word of God than before. They believe in God, they believe in his word. Thousands of years, the enemies of God's word, the enemies of truth have sought to destroy the precious word of God. And every one of those attempts has failed miserably. The Bible still is the most read, the most purchased, the most loved book of all times. Notice there, and this is not my graph, this is one that was actually put out, and notice how much more in the millions the Bible is being read and loved by so many people. Listen, the books, the other books are books of men, but the Bible is the only book that contains the words of God. And it is preserved, listen, by God's power. But notice, not only is it preserved by His promises, not only is it preserved by His power, but notice it's also preserved by His providence. Now, what is providence? Providence is providio. It means to see before. See, nothing happens 
without God knowing and allowing it to happen. Do you understand that this morning? God is sovereign. God knew that his word would be attacked. How does he know that? Because his son, Jesus, who is the word, was also attacked. And so God has known from the time that he has given us his word that it would be attacked. But notice in his providence, God has preserved his word. Now, the Bible, as you hold it this morning, you understand like I do, the Bible contains two sections. There's what is known as the Old Testament, and there's the New Testament. Earlier, we looked at some promises from the Old and the New. I told you this was going to be an educational time, all right? So some of you just smile like you love the Bible, all right? Now, here's the thing is, when you think about the Bible and preservation, the Old Testament has never really been called into question as to its authenticity. In other words, the Masoretic text, the Hebrew writings of the Old Testament, they have not been the source of discussion and debate and criticism. The Old Testament is one where the Jewish scribes, they faithfully copied the divine text. They went through extensive efforts to ensure that their copies matched the originals. Now, the Jewish copyists, now we're kind of spoiled today because we have all kinds of electronic things. But if you can think way back in history, long before even the printing press, how did people get a copy of the Word of God? Somebody took a pen and they took a parchment, and they began to write the Word of God. Now, God had already given His Word. The Bible clearly tells us that, there's a, that there is a danger in adding to or taking away from the Word of God. So we must be very careful about what we do with the Word of God. Everybody with me so far? So here's what would happen is, God gave his word. As he gave it, they had the originals, okay? The Old Testament was the Masoretic text. What they would then do is they would take the original, they would take the pen, the Jewish scribe, and they would, from the original, they would write and record and create another copy. Now, as they would do this, If their copy did not match the original, then what they would do, they would destroy it. Because it did not match the original. Matter of fact, they were very serious about this, that even if there was one error, no matter how small it was, if they were writing along, didn't matter how far they got into a book, or what book it was, if they made one mistake, one error, they didn't just gloss over it, they didn't have white out, they destroyed it. Everybody get it? They took the Word of God, the preserved Word, very seriously. The Jewish scribes, and this is a true account, as they were writing the Word of God, 
They would be riding along from the original. They would come to the name of God, Jehovah, Yahweh. When they would come to the name of God, they would lay down the pen. They would go over and they would take off their robe. They would go to something like a, like a laver, like, a, like a, a little wash basin. They would wash themselves They would dry off their hands, they would walk back over, put back on the robe, they would go over and pick up the pen, and from where they stopped, the very next thing they wrote was God's name. And in Hebrew, they would write the name of God. When they finished, they would lay the pen down. They would go over, take off the robe, go over to the basin and wash, put on their robe, go back over to where they were writing, and they would pick up the pen and continue. Now, think about this in your Bible, especially the Old Testament. How many times you see the name God? Can you imagine how long it took them to write some of those portions? How meticulous. One mistake. And listen, destroy it. Get rid of it. Why? Because God's word is pure. God's word is perfect. There cannot be one mistake in the Bible. And so they were very careful about it. And due to their meticulous care and the reverence that they had for the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew text, the Masoretic text, has never really been questioned as to its authenticity. Which brings us to the New Testament. Now, the New Testament is where much of the discussion falls. What you're looking at there is the Gospel of John. You can read that, right? <laughs> it says right there, N-R-K, Ain, Halagos, Kai, Halagos, Ain, Proston, Theon. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's what the Bible says. If you don't believe me, turn your Bible to John 1. You'll see those same words, all right? Now, here's the thing is, <clears throat> this is where the discussion, the criticism, the debate comes in. Now, what are we talking about this morning? We're talking about God's, God's preserved words, right? So, as we think about His words being preserved, the issue here with the Bible, the New Testament, Every English Bible that is in existence today comes from either one or another, one of two sources of Greek text. I just happen to have, because I've had them for years, I don't do these with my Bible devotions, but I have both of those texts. These are both Greek New Testaments. Now, I will tell you with all my heart, I believe that one of these, every word of it is true. Because God has promised to preserve His Word. But one of these only contains truth. It's missing things. Things have been altered. Remember what God said? My Word will not be altered. Now listen, God gave His Word. 
It has been preserved. You said earlier, I believe that. But yet, when we look at the Bibles today, just like the Hebrew writings, they would look at the original and then they would translate it into whatever language it would need. Well, how do you get Bibles today? You look at the original and then you translate from the original into whatever language. For instance, our Bible is the Bible that God has preserved His Word for the English-speaking people. There's a Bible for the Spanish-speaking people. So listen, where do we get the Word of God from the original? Folks, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to drink a soda or pop or whatever you call it, I don't want something that's watered down. If I'm going to eat uh, something like potatoes, I don't want instant potatoes. I want real potatoes. If I'm going to go to God's Word, I don't want something that's been messed with and tampered and watered down and altered. I want the original. I want what God gave. Are you with me this morning? But so many people, listen, either do not understand, do not know, or willingly ignore the truth. I don't know about you, but I want every word of God because every word of God is true. So it boils down to these two texts. The Byzantine text is one of them. The other one is known as the Alexandrian text. Now, those may be something that are totally foreign to you. I will tell you, and and again, if I had more time, I'd go further into depth this morning. But I will tell you this, if you take the time to study them out, here's what you will find. There are terms that are synonymous with those terms. For instance, the Byzantine text sometimes is known as the traditional text. It is also known as the textus receptus, which means the received text. So as you study these out, understand that many times you might see a different terminology, but it's referring to either the Alexandrian text or it's referring to the Byzantine text. Everybody with me so far? So as you think about this, I want you to understand because this is laying the ground for the fact that we see that letter A, that sometimes today we see the perversion of the true text. Now, when you study this, and I have spent some time, I'm not an official, I've spent enough time to know that when you look at the text, the Alexandrian text is one that is a text that cannot be trusted. And the reason that I say that this morning is because this particular text was originated in Alexandria, Egypt. It was the work of men who rejected the literal interpretation of the scriptures. Now, what is literal interpretation? That is people, Christians, believers, who believe that God said what he said and God meant what he meant. That's a literal interpretation. See, these individuals that worked on this this Alexandrian text, they believed that the Bible was a collection of spiritual stories designed to teach truth. Can I tell you, it's not a collection of spiritual stories. It is the truth. God's word is truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It's not a collection of stories to teach the truth. 
It is truth this morning, and we need to understand the ancient manuscripts talking about the Alexandrian text, the ancient manuscripts that they use for this Alexandrian text, and many of the modern Bibles today, listen to this, contains over 12,000, 12,000 corrections and revisions by someone other than the original copyist. Now, who were the original copyists? That would be the 40-some individuals that God allowed them to record his word in the original form, the Hebrew and the old, the Greek and the new, with parts of it being Aramaic. Now, when you think about the Alexandrian, the text, it contains some books that also have been rejected by the believing church for nearly 2,000 years. The manuscript that the modern Bibles are using that they most rely on has been heavily corrected, listen, by even the Roman Catholic Church, the copyist of the Roman Catholic Church. By the way, the King James translators, they were well aware of the erroneous copies. Remember I said earlier that if they were writing the Word of God and they made a mistake or something was in there that shouldn't have been, it should have been destroyed. But you know what happened? They kept some of those that had mistakes in them, that had errors in them. Have you ever done that? You ever, you ever played that game where you stand in line, maybe 10 people, and you tell the first person something, and their job is to turn around and tell the next person what they told them, and then that person is supposed to turn around and tell the next person till it gets down to the last person, and the last person is supposed to say out loud what they were told, and it is so far from what the original person told them. You ever seen that? It's, it's pretty sad sometimes. Well, don't you know that if man continued to write the Word of God, that somewhere along the way, it's going to have some errors, some mistakes. God's Word is perfect. And so what happened was, they actually found some of these copies that had errors in them. And they were, listen, this is not something I came up with. It's a proven fact. Some of these, they fished out of the trash can they were using to start fires in the Vatican. And they, they said, oh, this must be God's word. And so they used that to formulate this, this text that many Bibles are using today. What is interesting is the manuscripts that form the basis of all modern versions of the Bible disagree. Listen to this. It, they disagree with one another in over 3,000 instances, and that's only in the four gospel records. Listen, if they disagree 3,000 times in just the four, first four books of the New Testament, how much more do they disagree in the rest of the books of the New Testament? And yet this is where we see that every new version of the Bible today, some of these versions just keep, continue to come out, come out, with exception of the New King James Version of the Bible, have all been translated from the Greek text that has been uh, uh, messed with and altered and changed and missing things. Now, we need to understand how very important it is. Listen, I don't know about you, but I want all of God's Word. And I don't want something that man has messed with. I want something that is pure from God. 
Now, you think about the perversion of the Word of God, but notice letter B, the preservation of the true text. This would be the traditional text, and this text is one that originated in the city of Antioch in Syria. The scholars that worked on this particular text, they took a more literal approach to, to Bible interpretation. Uh, they considered the Bible to be more than just allegory. They considered the Bible to be the very words of God. Hey, that's a novel thought. You know, the Bible is the Word of God. And so that's the approach that they took. And as a result, they were diligent. When they looked at the original text, they were faithful, just like the Hebrew copyists, the scribes. They were faithful to copy it correctly. They employed many of the same techniques that the Hebrew writers did. And it is from their uh, work that we see a line of many great Bible translations. For instance, we see in 1522 the Erasmus Greek text that later became known as the Textus Receptus in 1633, Martin Luther's German Bible in 1530, the Tyndale Bible in 1522, the Coverdale Bible in 1535, the Geneva Bible in 1560, and the King James Bible in 1611. Listen, these are all great, true translations of the original text. Listen, the new versions that are out today that are resting on the Alexandrian text, listen, folks, they are resting on 45, or only 45 manuscripts that they have been translated from. But the major text that we find the King James Bible translated from, it rests on 5,210 manuscripts. I don't know about you, but when I look at all the manuscripts and we see the agreement in 5,210 versus those 45 that the, the other manuscripts and texts are resting upon, we clearly see where God has established and preserved His Word. Many of the newer versions of the Bible today have over 3,000, 3,000 words that have been omitted. There have been many verses that have also been omitted from the modern Bibles. Now listen, I'm not here to poke fun. I'm not here to put you down. I'm not here to tell you what version of the Bible to use. I'm here today to establish the preservation of the Word of God. And we need to understand that God has given His Word, and we need to make sure that we have all of it the way God has given it to us. Now, I want to establish this, and, and again, I, I, I'm just trying, as the Lord led me, there was a lot of things that, that God said, I want you to do this, and I, I wasn't real, you know, I, just, I really honestly didn't want to do it. But God said, this is what I want you to do. So I want to share, give you some examples. Because again, maybe, maybe you're newer in the Lord. Maybe you come from a different direction. And guess what? We love everyone. You know, uh, For years, I've tried to help people. And listen, it's not my way or the highway. It's God's way. You understand that? And so listen, I might be the pastor of this church, but it's not my church. It's his. So when we look at the Bible, let me give you an example. Notice this morning... I've given you a portion on the screen here. It's not in your notes. This is actually out of one of the newer Bible versions. I'm not going to tell you which one. That's not the issue. But this is Acts chapter number 8. And if you know anything about it, I'll give you a little bit of the background. This is where Philip was led by the Spirit to go into the wilderness, and he comes upon a man who was an Ethiopian eunuch. The man's coming away from Jerusalem. He's got in his hands a portion of the Word of God. Maybe like Jeremiah, maybe it was a roll 
which would have been like a wooden, maybe two wooden uh, rods that actually had the Word of God wound around them. I don't know what he had, but if you notice at the top of the screen there, you can see some of the words there. Even though it's in the New Testament, it's the Old Testament passage from Isaiah 53. He's reading about Jesus. Notice it says there, in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Now, again, this isn't the King James Version, so just pardon me for what it reads, all right? But he's, he's reading about this, and notice as he comes to verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, he says, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? He's asking Philip, he's saying, who, who is it that Jeremiah is talking about, you know, that, that was led as a lamb to the slaughter? And Philip understands. You know why? Because Philip knew his Bible. And so Philip's, Philip's, the Bible says he began at the same scripture, and he began to preach unto him Jesus. Now notice when you come down to verse number 36, see how I, it highlighted there, the number? And look, at it says, and as they traveled along the road, he was in his chariot, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water, what sh why shouldn't I be baptized? Now notice that. He says, look, can you baptize me? Now, do you notice verse 36? See the number? But look on the screen. What's the next number? 38. What number comes between 36 and 38? 37. So you're like, well, wait a minute. Isn't there something missing? Yes, there is. Glad you asked. You're very astute on Sunday at 11 o'clock. So... Where do we go from here? Okay, well, let's go back to the original. There it is. So notice from this text, this Greek text, what do you notice is missing? 37. So why did they not put verse 37 in the modern Bibles? Because it, it's not in their Greek text. It's gone. Now, go to the next slide there, Brother Joe. This is the traditional text. Now, notice there's no numbers on that one because the numbers aren't inspired of God. So, so you're just going to have to trust me for it. If you want, I can read it to you in Greek sometime, and maybe you'll be really dazzled that I know how to read it. Okay, But if you look at the last word, see where the highlighting begins? Look at the last word there. The word is baptizantai. Say that five times, right? It means, remember he asked him, what doth hinder me to be baptized? So that's the end of verse 36. You with me? Now, go past the highlighting. If you can see at the end of where the highlighting line is, there, the first word that's not highlighted is three letters. It's the word chi. And that's where verse 38 begins. And, and that's where Philip's, the Bible says, and they, they went down into the water and he baptized him. Now notice that God's original had verse 37. But the new modern Bibles, they choose to leave it out. It's not important. Why should we put it in there? It's not in our text. And so we're not going to put it in the Bibles. Well, what's the big deal, Pastor? Well, go to the next slide, Brother Joe. Here it is. I lifted what I just highlighted, and I want you to see, because verse 37 from Acts 8, what is it? Well, notice 
what it translates. And this is what you see in the Bible. Look at this. And Philip said, this is what's missing. Philip said to this man that said, hey, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip said to him, if thou believest with all thine heart. You know what that means? That this eunuch is a scriptural candidate for baptism. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. That is not something to take out of the Bible. That's so important. Because watch this. If you go back to the modern Bibles, here's what you find. Verse 37 is gone. So he says, hey, here's water. Can you baptize me? And the very next verse, they're in the water and he's baptizing him. There is no evidence of salvation. It's a, it's a proof text that the man was saved by his baptism. You know what that's called? Works. We're saved by grace through faith. Is what the Bible teaches. This may be a little heavy for some of you. But listen, it's all Bible. Let me give you another example. And you can look at it in your Bible or in your notes. But in, in the, the New Testament book of 1 John, chapter 5, verse number 7. In my Bible which I believe is the Word of God, here's what it reads. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are what? They're one. Now, when you go to the modern Bibles, here's what the vast majority of them translate that verse that we just read. Here's what they say. The three are testifying. That's what it says. The three what? Does it say the three are one? No. Some of them will say this. There are three witnesses. What three? What are they witnessing about? Again, you're going to take out a verse that says there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, capital F. The Word, capital W, Jesus. And the Spirit. Why would you take that out? Why would you remove something that is in the Word of God that God gave and He's preserved to our generation? But many people do not understand how they have changed and omitted and revised the true, pure, preserved Word of God. Man just continues to mess with the Word of God, but there is more evidence, if I had time this morning, for the accuracy of the New Testament, more than any ancient writing or any ancient period, Peter put it this way, we have a more sure word of prophecy. He says, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, and the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Listen, this morning, the question is this, do we have the Word of God? And the answer to that is absolutely. We have God's Word preserved to our generation. Oh, look, I'm going to tell you this morning, I said it earlier in the message, I haven't even scratched the surface of what we're talking about when we talk about the preservation of the Word of God. Some of us, 
would do well to study it. But I hope this morning that as you're here, I hope that you've listened with your heart. And I hope that you have a confidence that what you hold in your hands and what you hold in your heart is the very Word of God. Preservation, just like salvation, is a matter of faith. We have to believe that God has preserved His Word by His power and that God has kept it to our generation. Look, there is no expiration date to the Word of God. God's Word is preserved forever. All the evidence says that he has preserved it, and therefore you and I should read it with all confidence and base our lives upon it with all assurance. God has preserved his word in the inspired, infallible, and inerrant form. The Bible says in Psalm 119, thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. He hath remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. You know what the purpose of, of, of preservation is? It's propagation. Why has God preserved his word? Listen, I'm not here today to argue and fight with anyone over Bible versions. If you notice, I haven't mentioned versions I'm not here to turn your stomach or make you mad or make you upset. I'm here to establish the fact that there's a purpose why God has preserved his word, and it is propagation, which is to give it out, to spread it, to like the Bible describes itself as the seed. What do you do with seed? You scatter it everywhere you go. Listen, as we give out God's word, God's word changes lives. And so think about this this morning. God has given us his word. Let's live it. Let's spread it. I heard a story about a boy, and he went to school, and he was a little young, and he was just trying to understand things, maybe like some of you this morning. Man, I never heard this stuff about preservation. He went to school, and one of his classes was science class, and he went in there, and he noticed that as he went into science class, there were some clear jars, and they had some things in it, you know, and had some clear liquid in there with it, and he was, he was asking the teacher about it. And, and she was saying, well, you know, we put those in there, and that, that, that liquid preserves them, kind of keeps them. And, uh, and so he, was, he, he thought, okay, whatever. He didn't understand it. and So he went home, and he was telling his mom, she asked him how school was, and he said, I was, I was talking to his teacher in science class, and the teacher was telling him about some of the stuff. And he goes, Mom, can you explain that? And his mom, being a mom, she, she understood he's a, he's a little boy and he's trying to understand, so she realized I kind of need to bring it down to a child's level. And uh, she said, well, you know, I, let, me, let me show you something. She goes, I kind of do that here, son. So she took him down and they had, they had kind of a little cellar area. They went in there and she had a bunch of jars on the shelves. And she walked over and she grabbed one and she showed her son, by the way, this is pickled sliced beets. Don't tell me if you like them. She said, uh, son, I, I can these. I pickle some, some foods. And she said, I, I use that to kind of keep them. So I pickle them. And uh, he's he kind of looking at her. He's thinking, well, that's kind of like what I saw at school. And then he looks over and he grabs another jar. Their last name was Smuckers. Just kidding. 
And he looks at that jar, and that jar doesn't say pickled, it says preserved. I don't know about you, but maybe some of you ladies, anybody remember canning? Not many hands. I remember the days when my mom used to can, and we'd go down to nice, a nice cool place, and I remember taking that mason jar and taking the ring off of it and popping the top, and there was a, a wax seal in there, and I remember I'd find something, dig that wax seal off, and I'd, I'd take a spoon and dig down in there and just start shoving it in. My mom used to make all kinds of preserves. And so her son's kind of looking at this, and he's holding these, and one's pickled and one's preserved. And he said, uh, Mom, what's the difference? And she goes, Son, that's easy. She goes, One is sweet, and the other one is sour. And you know, the Bible says, look at this, How sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. You know what God has given to us? His words. And can I tell you that we need to be sweet with his words and not sour. No one's going to listen to God's words if we're like this. But if we're sweet about it, we have the right spirit about it, and we give it out. They might just receive it. Would you bow your heads with me this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? We'll ask this morning, if you would, why don't you stand to your feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? I don't know what's going on in your life and what you've been led to believe, but I pray this morning that God, by His Spirit, is taught you from his word, maybe from some historical facts this morning, but the altar's open this morning. If you need to be saved, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Why don't you come today and put your faith and trust in Christ? Some of you, like last week, maybe you ought to grab your Bible, grab your, your friend or your spouse, come to the altar kneel with God's word and say, Lord, thank you. Do you realize that God has preserved his word for you? You have God's word today. Why don't you come today and thank him for his word? You might be here today. Maybe you're looking for a, a church home, some place you can just say, God has shown me that he wants me here, not as a visitor, but he wants me to unite with this body of believers. And if God's impressing that upon you, why don't you come today? You can meet one of us here, and if we need to, we could take some time and help you to understand how to be a part of what God is doing here. Whatever your need is this morning, as the piano plays, Brother Kenny's singing, why don't you come today? Thank God for his preserved word.